Welcome to another edition of Professors at Work, a weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where we talk with professors and other researchers about the uh, scholarship they're doing, the research they're doing, why they choose their topics, what they've discovered, and what it means for the rest of us. I'm delighted to have this week as our guest, Professor Ram Isre. Uh, Ram Isre is one of the leading uh, experts in food systems and agrarian ecosystem management and the linkage between food security and political ecology. He's a professor in the Faculty of Agricultural and Food Sciences uh, in the Landscape Design and Ecosystem Management Department. Uh, and he's fo- focused particularly on uh, food systems in conflict and crisis conditions, which uh, obviously means he's pretty busy when looking around the Arab world, especially, unfortunately. But Rami, thank you for being with us. Thanks for inviting me, Rami. Good uh, good to be with you. Thank you. So there's a, a lot to talk about in the research you do. Tell us first why you have particularly focused on food systems and what you call the political ecology of food systems uh, in conflict areas. Uh, well, you know, uh, it's actually, it, it came to me quite simply. I, I was always very interested uh, in farming because I have very deep farming roots from, you know, the, the, my family side and I myself am currently a farmer. I have uh, an integrated farm uh, in Lebanon. Uh, you know, it's, I understand how, uh, what are the predicaments uh, of the, are, that farmers face uh, and the difficulty that confronts uh, farmers uh, in their constant quest to, to ameliorate uh, their livelihoods and to continue to provide what people need uh, in order to to live. Food is indeed, you know, the, the life support. So I trained first as an agriculturalist, as soil, a soil scientist. I thought for a very long time that uh, the answer, of course, to uh, all the problems and the issue of agriculture was technical. Uh, but after shaking test tubes uh, in a lab for the best parts of 10 years, I understood that, that uh, in fact, uh, the solutions are, are outside of the lab. They're in the realm of politics and powers and policy. And uh, that brought me to look at uh, the way we produce, the way we procure, the way we transform, the way we transport, the way we eat food as part of a big system, which naturally brought me to the study of all of these processes as a system uh, and one of the most interesting system because it is what we call a socio-ecological system, a system that runs at the interface between the world of nature and the world of humans. And this is where I work. This is what I try to understand and to unravel. And it is pretty complex. However, I, I, it's also extremely broad. So I, I, I needed to focus on something that uh, also has been uh, mediating my life for a very long time, which uh, is, uh, which are, you know, conflicts and crises. And mm-hmm. anyone who knows about uh, uh, the, the history of our region knows that if you're born in 1958, uh, you're born in a war and uh, that, uh, you know, uh, they don't seem to be ending quite soon. Uh, silent wars, active wars, uh, long-term crises, short-term crises. We find ourselves in Lebanon in the middle of this. 
And, you know, this, this question is, is very worthy of asking, how do we make the system that helps us uh, ensure our food security, our health, the sustainability of our environment, uh, the livelihood of the people who produce food, and uh, how can we immunize it or how can we help it, in other words, become resilient mm -hmm. to, to all of those events? I work at, that, at this interface and I try to understand uh, those processes. Well, it's exciting and important stuff. Let me ask you two related questions. The Mediterranean diet, as, as it's called around the world, is often presented as one of the healthiest uh, diets for people to follow, very balanced and, uh, and very good for you. And the other point is that, uh, of course, it's our region in the, in the Middle East, in the Levant particularly, that um, more or less uh, invented <laughs> agriculture, not by itself. Other people around the world did so pretty much at the same time. But we've had uh, seven, six, seven thousand years of, of agricultural uh, work going on all around our region. So how do we look today, when you look at the food systems and the, uh, the, the political ecology of food systems in our region uh, compared to our traditions? Yes, it's, you know, the, the, your question is, of course, extremely interesting because it touches upon uh, very much upon uh, what people ask themselves. But let's, you know, talk a little bit about uh, agriculture. Of course, the, the, the invention of agriculture happened in, in, in different uh, uh, locations. Mm -hmm. Now we know in different locations on the planet, but one of those most important locations is uh, our region. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, 10,000 years ago in Palestine, the Natufian civilization was one of the fossil of, of uh, where, uh, you know, the, the first uh, uh, crops were domesticated. Mm -hmm. And we're talking here about uh, the major cereal grain crops, so wheat and barley. And we're talking also about grain legumes, chickpea and lentils. Mm -hmm. And of course, this uh, settled agriculture replaced uh, the hunting and gathering. But what happened is that settled agriculture also allowed the, the, the uh, uh, obtaining surplus, you know, creating mm -hmm. a surplus of food, which allowed the constructions of societies, which were initially truly based on the exploitation of labor, slave labor, you know, and mm -hmm. then following with uh, peasant laborers, uh, latifundias, uh, uh, and so on and and uh, and so forth. So, so the, the the like everything you know the, the relationship between humans and food is a profoundly dialectical relationships. There are mm -hmm. there are positive feedbacks and negative feedbacks that keep occurring, and uh, this allows us and this view allows a far better understanding of uh, what goes on. Uh, for example, today. I mean, what do we learn from this, of course, uh, aside uh, from the fact that what happened 10,000 years ago doesn't hold anymore because mm -hmm. of the tremendous changes, because this region that uh, was the, called the breadbasket of the world, our mm -hmm. Levant here, became uh, a basket case. Countries that can be poor or rich, but are still import uh, uh, the, most of the calories they consume. And when we pose this question, of course, we don't always ask ourselves, okay, so what are we importing and what are those calories that we, uh, we consume and why should we 
import uh, food and then waste most of it. And by waste, I mean either waste it physically, you know, because we waste around 30% of the food that we have, or wow. waste it metabolically, which mm -hmm. means overeat and then try mm -hmm. to burn all of this excess, which is the summum of absurdity, of course, you know, mm -hmm. instead of, you know, right. and then, and then uh, you know, complaining about uh, the big import bills, uh, uh, of food, which are absolutely realistic and, and true. And looking at this again as a system allows you to understand where are the inflection points, where are the difficult parts, where are the places where you can have a policy that changes uh, the way uh, things uh, are, are being done. And these systems don't always operate uh, in, uh, in a way that we could, uh, we could uh, describe as intuitive because there is no intuition in here you really mm -hmm. have to unpack them all and look at, uh, at everything and look most importantly at the power relations that run through this system hence the political ecology dimension in here mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the recent say couple of decades three four decades in the arab world there's been a lot of upheaval and there's been a lot of uh, demographic movements, people leaving rural areas, coming to the city. That's been going on for a long time, but it's increased with uh, climate conditions, um, uh, rainfall uh, uh, issues, um, and rapid urbanization. And then you had the uprisings, and now you have uh, quite, um, I would say, mass poverty. That's not an exaggeration around 70% of Arab uh, individuals uh, can cannot meet their basic uh, weekly needs. Uh, so we have a pretty uh, bad uh, trend going on uh, across our region. And from what you've done, from what I've read about your work, uh, there are linkages at every one of these stages to uh, rural agricultural agrarian systems, political systems, uh, food availability, food pricing. Um, and you've actually written about the... Uh, the agrarian roots of the Arab uprisings. Uh, t tell us what you found about the linkage between the availability and, and price of food to average families and their attitude to the political systems in which they live. Yes, indeed, indeed. I'll tell you in a nutshell and then I'll describe where this is coming from. Uh, my, my research shows that uh, uh, while the, you know, the, also the, the popular narrative is that uh, food is the mover of people and this comes from a quote that's been attributed to 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 Henry Kissinger which says control oil and you control nations control food control food and you control the people we don't even know if he actually said that but that's yes. been part of the 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 the, the of, of you know US uh, food policy for quite a long time after the 1970s in any case you know this belief that food is 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 a big mover of people uh is not totally totally true it, mm -hmm. food is a great mobilizer because you know you 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 can wave a couple of, you know, bags of bread and people are worried about their bread and they're going to call bread riots, etc. But, you know, that is uh, not giving enough credit to people to, uh, to, to fight for a decent life, to mm -hmm. fight against oppression, 
to fight for what they consider is a need for more freedom, for political rights, for social equity. And these are the true, deeply ingrained reasons for, for revolts. If you feed people, if you practice panemachenses, you know, breads and games, that work for a short period of time mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in, in Caesar's Rome, but it doesn't work anymore today. Of course, using food as a mobilizer is important, but yes. that uh, 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 trying to obfuscate the profound political demands of the people, turning them into a demand of, uh, of empty stomachs is the, a little bit de demeaning the, the, you know, or, or, or denying mm -hmm. the political consciousness of people of their human condition. So right. that is what I found. And uh, that is what I found. And I believe that the Arab uprisings came from this very profound need for a change that could not be summarized in give me two more loaves of breads. Right. So what is the link between, uh, because when you talk um, about food farming and freedom, um, you, the freedom part you just mentioned and the, the, the demand for dignity, which is uh, expressed more and more clearly every day across the Arab region with continued uprisings in countries like Lebanon, Sudan, Iraq, uh, Algeria, parts of Jordan, parts of Morocco. We, we see this uh, continuing uh, for into its second and third decade now. Uh, but what is the, what is, why do you put food in that title that you used? I don't put food uh, in the title. Food makes its way in the title because it makes its way at, in, in our lives at every step. It's the right. thing with air, with water. Food is the thing we need every day, many times right. a day. How can our lives not, uh, not you know, be centered around it? But that's not the only problem. Right. Food here is associated with farming. You know, it doesn't like stand uh, on its own. And it's associated with farming because part of the huge transformations that have taken place in, in the Arab region has been a transformation that has uh, decimated the agrarian world. Wow. And maybe, you know, I mean, there are many reasons for, for that, you know, that, mm -hmm. and, and uh, uh, one of the immediate reasons is that under a capitalist regimes, the value produced by agriculture, by small to medium scale, family-oriented agriculture, in a, in, a, in, a, in a climate and ecologically challenged region, region that is the Arab world, this particular value is not enough to ensure social reproductions of households. So basically, right. uh, in, in a nutshell, in, you don't make enough money in agriculture, especially if you have a lot of people on very small land, uh, land uh, you know, on a very small land area. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, that the, in this particular case, what happens is you have, uh, you know, you, the, the capital penetrates. So investments, you know, capital penetrates into the agricultural world, into the agrarian world. And it is, this is made easy because in all our region, we have many things in common, but this particular one is common. We have tremendous inequality in the distribution of land ownership. There are historical reasons for that, which I shan't go into right now. But you need to know that in the entire Arab world, uh, we have uh, one of the highest levels of inequality in the, in the, in the, in the ownership of land. And I'm talking mm -hmm. 
inequality haven't even touched on the gender part, which in itself is, is right. quite extreme. I'm talking in general in terms of very few people owning very large areas of land and, uh-huh. and, uh, and a large number of people earning, uh, owning very small parcels. And these small parcels are not enough for them to, to, you know, to, to produce enough, to provide enough for a household. So what happens here is as um, more capital goes into these big, big um, land parcels, these big farms, the prices of food decline. As they decline, the smaller farmer doesn't have enough to, to, earn, you know, to, to build a livelihood. And they are forced into migration. This is uh, uh, one, of the, you know, one of the ways in which what uh, was called the agrarian question, uh, how it unravels in our region. The end result of this is that all of those people move into urban areas where they become urban poor, dependent right. on food import, and also they become disaffected and unemployed and turning them into what has been called uh, a reserve army of labor, but with no labor opportunities. So they become just a reserve army. I'd like to ask you about uh, if there have been examples of successful attempts to address this. But before uh, I do that, I just want you to to speak briefly one more time about the reality of political power, because what you're describing both at the consumer level and the urban poor and and other urban middle class people, and at the level of the land-owning small farmers, neither of these communities have any real political clout. Not at all. They they don't. And, uh, and uh, well, you know, they don't and they won't have, but they are the basis. You remember, I told you about this reserve army. Well, mm-hmm. you know, this reserve army is used somewhere. So when right. people are, you know, uh, are unemployed and they're just sitting there, they're open to opportunities. Right. And these opportunities can be in the realm of the political masses. You know, right. forced into one place or another, sometimes maneuvered, sometimes, uh, you know, manipulated, sometimes uh, just uh, exploding and, and expressing something. But there is tremendous power brewing into, into this body. And this mm-hmm. body is sometimes controlled. It is controlled in some area by involving everyone in the army, for example, or a large number of people, which creates a heavy right. drain on the state. And, and, and a super militarization of states that never, yeah, that, that, you know, hardly ever fight external wars, but use this army of the poor against the poor themselves in their own countries. So, you know, these are some of the, mm. the you know, the ways uh, this is expressed. So when you create, okay, my point here is the following. If you want to do a cost benefit analysis, a cost benefit analysis, pardon me, uh, of of farming in any country in the Arab world, as opposed to importing the food, you're probably, mm-hmm. uh, you know, farming locally probably loses. Yes. However, when you start internalizing the externalities, that is, you know, I am creating an army of un- unemployed laborers mm-hmm. uh, in the vicinities of town, and I have to create new, you know, social safety nets and social support systems and, and, and so on and so forth, then uh, a support to local agriculture through various means becomes much more 
appealing and much more economical as an approach. And right. I think this is the difference between thinking in terms of uh, uh, bottom line dollar, uh, mm -hmm. cash dollar, as opposed to thinking long terms uh, in terms of citizenship and nation building. Right. We only have uh, about a minute or two left. Uh, can I ask you to go on from that point you just made to look, tell us, are there examples from your research and, and other people's work that you know of or examples that you've studied where this transition can be made to refocus on the agrarian farming community, the political economy of, of small-scale farming, um, these to get a better balance between locally produced food that supports communities in an integrated way, also probably helps the environment, um, and being able to produce enough food to feed the entire country without having to import it all. Uh, okay, I mean, first let me just clarify that I am not uh, calling or do I believe that it is easy to produce enough food in the Arab world to feed uh, uh, the entire population of the right. are nearly 400 million people. Yeah. That, uh, actually, <clears throat> the, actually, the latest UN figures say there's 436 yeah. million Arab citizens. It's an incredible yeah. number. Exactly. So, you know, quickly growing. But we could do much better than what we've been doing so far. Around. Mm -hmm. We could do much better. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of um, examples Mm -hmm. that we can offer, <clears throat> and certainly not where we should be able to offer them. That is, in the regions that are most in need of food. The only countries that have made stride in trying to, to build some form of uh, local production are the countries which, uh, which do not have a sufficient uh, uh, ecological endowment to do so. I am thinking here about the countries of the Arabian Gulf, oil-rich mm -hmm. regions, which can actually do that and can invest in modern technologies because they have the money to do that. Right. But the effort should be in Sudan. Mm -hmm. The effort should be in, in, in Yemen. Mm -hmm. The effort should be in Iraq, a rich country whose food system has been annihilated by the invasion and by the war. This wow. is where we should be, and we're not seeing this mm -hmm. yet. Well, this is to come in the future. Uh, we've run out of time. Uh, Professor Rami Zre, thank you so much for being with us, and we will keep an eye on these issues as you keep, you and your colleagues, uh, keep doing more research. Our guest has been Professor Rami Zre, the director of the Food Security Program, professor in the Faculty of Agricultural and Food Sciences in the Department of Landscape Design and Ecosystem Management. Thanks again, Rami, for being with us. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. This is Rami Khoury, your host of Professors at Work. Join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.